Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Are you tired of it? Are you sick and tired of it? <laughs> yep. Sick and tired. Uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let's and do tired. something about it. Sick and tired. You know what that means? That means uh, you're ready for change. You're ready. If you're tired of it, that means you're ready to change your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, you change your life. That's the way it works. God, and- I hope so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, hope is nice. Uh, we're going to do a lot better than that today, I think, on Jeff's World. Thank you for listening. And uh, please always join us on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing, Jeff's World Show. Tired of it? Seriously, though, this is this is an important, just an epiphany of consciousness. This is how it works. Well, you it, get really tired of it. Yeah. I love watching commentators because they literally, I, 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 if I, I almost wanted to have our producer make a montage of every commentator going, I'm sick and tired <laughs> of hearing, you know, and da, 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 da. What's interesting, though, is I wonder how many people on an individual basis that has nothing to do with politics, okay. but somehow, you know, I'm getting all into the Jeff Stein woo-woo, <laughs> as we're seeing, you know, our country, and we're seeing a lot of people rising up because they're yes, sick and tired. I wonder how many uh, individuals in their personal lives are also feeling that rise of being sick and tired and making changes. That's yeah. it's the second half. Like of your they're s- right on right. that brink yep. of okay, we're going to do something different now. Well, when the pain gets high enough, you have two choices, right? You're either going to increase the pain by maintaining your current uh, discordant uh, perspective; it's going to increase, or it's going to, or you're going to change and go. Oh, I'm going to start moving towards healing. Yeah, it's, and yep, it's, we're, it's, we're, we're it's, it's that change part that's you can be sick to death of something, but the there is extra effort required to to changing that circumstance. Yes, and, and I think people get disheartened sometimes. Effort is the hard yeah. part. That's yeah. true. Because it's easier to just take the old thought because it's the default thought. It's right. the thought you had forever. And I always like to say a belief is nothing more than a thought you've thought a lot. Correct. And so, and that's the easier one. And it'll feel easier. And it's safer. And it takes effort, as Erica would say. And it's safer because you're not in any new scary territory. Exactly. And I think that change for most people, not Jeff Stein, <laughs> but for most you're people. You're over-endowing. Go ahead. Um, it, it's scary because yeah. for most people, what is the unknown they fear? Right. Yeah. And so they don't know what's on the other side. Yeah. And so it's taking that leap. Do you remember, um, was that Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana <laughs> Jones, he has to take a leap off the, leap the of side. Faith. The leap of faith off the side of the mountain <clears throat> and the bridge comes up because he believes. Yeah, the last crusade. Yeah, yeah. And Indiana Jones' like, last crusade. Look, I'm such a sci-fi nerd now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to is the that dark sci-fi? side. No. I don't know. It's okay, not it's sci-fi. not even. Okay. But it is adventure. It's it adventure. Is, you're an adventure nerd. Yes. No, no, no. Anyway, so um, right, <laughs> and he he, you have to take that leap of faith and yeah, and see if it works, and see if something new works. You're talking about change. A new thought has to work. So, and that's going to be one of the things today. Today on Jeff's World, uh, freedom of the press is being reconsidered by Reince Priebus in the White House. Good times. <laughs> 
Yeah. Big yeah. smile, everybody. Big smile. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in life now requires one thing, and I'll tell you what that is. Oh. Yeah, a little teaser. Between two major parties, there was there were some big winners in Congress this week. <laughs> Only really one party was winning a big this week, including today, including what happened today. James Comey spoke. More light was shed on the truth. And we also learned some new things like intelligence porn and uh, what is the greatest threat to the U.S. and the world, as we learned in the Comey hearings. We'll reveal the one person who was able to criticize Donald Trump to his face. And I guarantee you it's not CBS's John Dickerson or Stephen Colbert. Hello. (laughs) We'll get that, too. The massive emotional change-making and teachable moment of Jimmy Kimmel and the part of the moment you missed will play, too. Ah. What a moment in history. We'll explain the major difference between Obama and Trump executive orders. Because a lot of debate about that. And clearly it's time for a refresher on narcissism. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, can we have her back? Yeah. Oh, we got to. We got to have uh, Dr. <laughs> Ramani Darvasala back in here because uh, an expert who obviously wrote the book. We, we, we uh, have her Doc, Ra- Doc Ramani's probably just Doc Ramani. spinning around in her chair right now, the poor thing. She's <laughs> like, I told, I told you! you. <laughs> she kept saying it wasn't going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll also refresh her on identity politics, and we'll ask the question asked, or asked during World War II, during the Civil War. Thank you, Donald Trump. And now uh, for Facebook Troll Wars, why we fight. I want to ask the question of why we fight. <laughs> it's important. But first, uh, I want to point out, you know, well, actually, I want to have a, an opportunity for Jeff Hendrick to uh, talk about some news. Really? You're going to give me 120 seconds to get all this out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you that haven't been following on Facebook... Uh, I've been diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma cancer. And uh, breathe. I'm going to be okay. No, trust me. I went into my oncologist and I said, uh, hey, Dr. G, is this a get my affairs in order kind of thing or have we got this? And he said, we got this. All right, then. So yeah. I start chemo on Tuesday. I had a biopsy on Monday, uh, which was an exciting affair. <laughs> strapped, down, uh, strapped down on a gurney like Christ with my arms splayed out. Uh, the anesthesiologist said, okay, you're going to go to sleep now. And hey, man, this... This kind of smells like nitrous oxide. I can taste it in the back of my... <laughs> Good times. Out like a light. So I wake up in recovery, and they'd given me a nerve block on my left arm, which means I, it didn't work. It just hung there like a piece of dead meat. Right. Which was weird because I had feeling in my fingers, and the fingers worked. But not the <laughs> At the end of, the of a dead arm. Oh, that's funny. It's bizarre because I'm sitting there looking at my arm, and I'm thinking, raise, raise up and scratch my nose. And the arm's just like... Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Uh-uh. I'm asleep. I Back off. Love it. it was so weird. So they gave me a sling, so I literally didn't smash it around. Right? Accidentally and it would flail around. Thing. Exactly. You don't want to spin too fast. <laughs> I would be twirling, twirling. <laughs> uh, and it uh, it finally wore off, and I didn't I didn't have a, like, okay, here's, it's, it's, it's gone now. I'm in great shape. I was sitting, watching television, and without thinking, I raised my left arm and scratched my nose. I went, oh! You're back. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> I love the without thinking part of it. So oh, yeah. I said, well, you know, I, the things to be grateful for. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was I just going to commend you on your ability to take a, a circumstance like that and find a playful. You're so good at that, man. Oh, well, it's just it, what to be you, silly about the fact that your arm is walking. Dude, how much? There's no, it had to be silly. My God, it wasn't working. <laughs> well, it could be scary. Ah, no, I knew, it was, I knew it was coming back. You know, yeah. they didn't say, we've permanently disabled you. No, they were like, all right, it's, you're going to get it back in a few hours or maybe tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow? Uh, getting dressed was a trick. 
I was uh, very glad I didn't wear buttonfly Levi's that day because it would have just <laughs> right? driven me to the insane asylum. <laughs> uh, but the reason I'm talking about this is because the House just voted uh, to repeal the ACA and replace it with, um, was it the um, death tax? The Kill America. Kill America plan. Uh, Kill America plan. Yeah. So uh, when we come back to Jeff's world, I want an opportunity for you to uh, explain your feelings. I know Erica has some very strong feelings <laughs> about the vote today, oh, as, yeah. as well as all the other great things we tease and the one thing we all need to know about as we proceed into uh, this new reality of what society is like when we return to Jeff's world. You are in Jeff's world, where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture are seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Erica Ferriston and Jeff Hendrick. Executive Brian is uh, helping grow the show. We've got Barry Funkhouse producing the show. Well, he will be again. He's going to be solo for a minute. Stein and, is counting and, the days. I know. Kennedy is to his return and Internet Georgette uh, keeping you in the know. So thank you for all that. The House Republicans. Yeah managed to pass a bill and just to get the quick political aspect of it they made some concessions to the freedom caucus that's how they got it through which means they pushed it further to the right which means they pushed it further to removal one of the key components that had them got it through is that it allows states to opt out of their various requirements like pre-existing conditions and great things like that. and um, It's a good thing stupidity isn't a pre-existing condition or all of Congress <laughs> would be exempt. I don't know if you guys I'm watched, but several months ago there was a town hall on health care. I think it was on CNN with Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz. Yeah. And they, you know, people in the audience stood up and, and looked Ted Cruz in the eye and said, can you promise me? With the health care bill you want to pass, someone like me with a pre-existing condition will still have health care, yeah. which, of course, he said, yes, you will still have access, access. to health care. Right. But he meant that, you know, like, you know, yes, believe me, I, I, I've heard clips of Donald Trump saying, you know, we will not take away your pre-existing condition, health care, blah, 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 blah. And just bold Face lies. Yeah, bold face. Now, it, to, to Trump's defense, he hasn't signed anything yet, so he hasn't put his name on anything of what little defense that is. If but the Republicans you say just in voted Trump's for defense it. ever again, <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to jam a pen in your eye. Well, here's why Hendrick can <laughs> say that it's indefensible what he's doing because yeah. Trump well, what he's saying at least he tried to anyway. break arms to make the last one pass. That was. Yeah. No, he endorsed it. There's no doubt so, he put his full fire behind it. So his words have been anything but, you know, defendable. But he hasn't yet, uh, you know, done anything in that sense. I mean, we'll talk about the executive orders later. Right. But, um, so let's see. Uh, super neato things about the health care bill that was just passed <laughs> by the House. Right. 24 million people, probably more, because they didn't bother to get a CBO estimate. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that's the Congressional Budget Office. Or uh, the OMB, the Office of Man- Management and Budget. Neither one. They ma- got. They went through none of the organizations to, to, to score it. Which are, because, you know, they're fiscally conservative. Right. They're very mindful of financial decisions. Absolutely. Of it, it when it benefits it their can't pockets. Even be, I know, but it can't even be brought to the Senate floor without one of those studies attached to it. You, right. know, you know that, Oh, right? no, no. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a whole bunch of processes. They did so, this out of fear. Yeah. And then the uh, one of the big things that they- did they, this out of greed. Go ahead. Um, I think Erica may be more on. Well, the... greed may be a side effect, but uh, the, 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 what's clear, especially in the last twenty-four hours, you're right. It, they were afraid they would go from being 
multi-millionaires to just <laughs> single-digit millionaires. <laughs> I love your but sarcasm today. Okay. Yeah, they're uh, <laughs> they were afraid 24 of failure. Mi- right, twenty-four million people get plus get booted off their health. Uh, care plans for pre-existing conditions and whatever whim the insurance industry has. And there's a big, fat, stinking tax break to the already wealthy crammed into this legislation. Their desi- the problem is, is you know, you, 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 I like to believe that politicians are going to do it, and many do, for the purpose of helping people. And any desire they had <laughs> to help... <laughs> we'll let Jeff laugh for a little on, while yeah, Hang on a second. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the incentive... Uh, again, it, it's the old consciousness. It, it, how much of your attention is on what you don't watch? How much is what you do want? Well, about, I don't know what percentage is, but not much of their attention is, is helping people. And more of their attention is terror that they will be exposed as failures because they've been promising to replace Obamacare. And everybody, every conservative organization from Heritage to whatever is saying to Rush Limbaugh is screaming at them, get rid of it. And so they were willing to sign something that they haven't even read, haven't even seen, and hasn't been scored just so they could We, we need a win. We uh, need a win on the board. And, and yeah. this is, I would say, a huge win for Democrats. For those that are listening, if you're a Democrat, be happy about this because they all went on the record and yeah. just said, and, and again, the least of their transgressions would be that they signed. In other words, their opponents could say he signed a bill he never read. That would be the least of their transgressions. Right. The large of the transgressions is you signed a bill that turned out to be a health care destroyer. Right. So either way, the, the Democrats de- the, the death, got a, The death panels yeah. are they're real. Un- unfortunately, they're congressmen. I, I, I absolutely. I've said this before, and I stand by it. The <laughs> Republican Party, not everyday Republican voters or constituents, but the Republican Party is the party of death. They they truly are. I was listening to an interview with Noam Chomsky. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's a linguist and a professor at MIT. And quite liberal. Carry on. And he said, um, and he said, I'm going to make an outrageous statement. So <laughs> it is an outrageous statement. <laughs> And he said that the Republican Party is the most dangerous organization on earth. <laughs> I or would have, in the hey, world. Give Putin and then a he more said, really? he continued, yeah. they have health care. Um, yeah, and he Russia continued has... <laughs> to explain. And, and if you start looking at it, I'll challenge you. He said they are the most committed organization to destroying life be it human or planet, which you can't, if, you're, if your air is toxic, that, that kills human life. And if you, if you look at the speed of which they're not just interested in maintaining the status quo with things that, yes, they do know are killing people, but they are accelerating it. They are accelerating more coal, more lead in the water. They put a gag order on the EPA. The EPA can no longer tell us you're about to die. How much, <laughs> yeah. you know, lead in your water is safe <clears throat> yeah. and how much isn't and here's where you're at. That that is that is death. Do you know what that this- is dangerous. That is going to kill more people than, you know, some ISIS. crazy lunatic. Here's what here's what the Republican Party in its current form reminds me of. It reminds me of the Catholic Church during the Inquisition. <laughs> Any science purity first, purity first, party first, complete megalomaniacal, single myopic vision of what they want in the world. Yeah. And everybody else is a sinner and is going to hell. 
Well, that's why, I mean, not to uh, agree it, it with that, shocks but me. that's part of, again, the vote on, on the health care bill today was out of, it was a purity vote. It says, right. are you a pure conservative willing to, you know, remove any government intervention in anything, even though this is the kind of government invention that everyone agrees with now that is necessary? Even Paul Ryan agreed that the government has to be involved in making sure people can receive Then why did you bring that toxic bill to the floor, you yeah. lying, duplicitous crap bag? Because they're terrified. Excuse me. They're Sorry. more afraid... Of that was lumpy their, speaking. Yeah, <laughs> lumpy meaning his tumor, <laughs> former tumor, whatever. No, no, it'll be former soon. It's it's right there right now though. And uh... well, the, the <clears throat> reason why I, I feel confident again, not only is this going to just be hung around their neck, but you're a living example, Jeff Hendrick, of uh, how you cannot pass legislation that literally deprives people of the ability to live. Do you oh, think you can, that oh, you they can. genuinely yeah, don't know that, and they're just confused no. and made a mistake? No, no they, they have to be shamed further. No, they're not done. They know exactly what they're doing. Are you kidding me? Anybody over the age of eight knows what they're doing. No, they they're, just look twenty-four million people in the eye and gave them the big finger. We don't care if you die. Now, I have a word for Paul Ryan. If this abomination passes, Mister Ryan, and you have voted to kill me. I ain't going out alone. Do you understand me? <laughs> 24 million of my friends and I will go to D.C. and we'll uh, have a nice little sit-down chat. everyone listening understand this is a metaphor and this is a... <laughs> yeah. speaking for comedic purposes I'm and entertainment speaking, value. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's not really sure. generally making a threat against a sitting U.S. congressman. You, uh, you know, yeah. I was listening... Yeah, yeah Stein, that's it. <laughs> I was listening to a, a, a gentleman call in to another fabulous radio show. <laughs> Um, and he is, he is a young man, and he talked about how he has been, you know, a very healthy person his whole life. He never missed a day in junior high or high school. He even got, uh, you know, rewards for always being present. Right. He had a good job, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, one day, he got really ill and ended up in the ICU. And it turns out he was diagnosed with some genetic like kidney disorder that mm. that was rare and um you know his he, he had to take off work for six months his employer was gracious they gave him a grace period so he got to go back to work and he got to keep his insurance but you know these are the the people like this you know that these republican politicians are demonizing and saying, well, you're not living a healthy lifestyle, therefore you deserve it. Not true. Many people are living a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, just another point, there's a medicine that he has to take, which I don't remember the name of it. He said he was paying his insurance, but his copay was $100 a month for okay. this medicine. Okay. His copay overnight changed to $28 hundred dollars a month that's his 20 percent copay that this man now has to pay the drug they're charging thirty two thousand dollars a month he said oh i he said that the drug was was sold to a pharmaceutical company and once it was sold this is what happens he's importing his drug from canada from thailand that kills people thirty two thousand dollars a month this is a man with a job yeah. and insurance mm-hmm. who has, you know, done everything right his whole life. Oh, but, you know, that can't possibly be true, Erica, because Mo Betts of Alabama says that, you know, only bad people have pre-existing conditions. Yeah. There's some moral failing if you're sick, just so, like there's some moral pa- failing if you're poor. Because yeah, God little, only uh, likes people who are rich, white, Christian, and healthy. <laughs> so so the can... rest of you, good luck with all of that. 
And and if you can hear the anger and the frustration and the voices there, uh, I mean, this I'm is an sure illustration. They can, they can <laughs> and this is where it is. So there's you. That's not going to stand. You can't. This will never survive. Of course. Well, the last time, the last time something this stupid went <laughs> down, I want to go back to Hoover's army. Are you right. familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Herbert Hoover promised a bunch of vets, hey, we've, we've yep. got your back. And we got your back, and got then they back. got nothing. And so they marched en masse and camped out yeah. on the square and just hung out in the Capitol. Yeah, great moment. Uh... God, we should just <laughs> wheel everybody with health care issues and put them right. and right. bring in doctors and nurses to just treat them and set up oh, yeah, tent the, hospitals. Absolutely, because the AMA is fully on board with way, the way you and I think, Erica. They're like, no, single payer now, you idiots. Yeah. We don't like the system any more than our Again, patients do. Look for the good news, and yeah. that is the good news. And that is good every news. single organization, whether it's a hospital organization, the AARP, the nurses, medical, all, all of them. them, all of them. But you know what's standing in the way? You know who's in power right now? The Republican Party. That's correct. And uh, it, 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 you know, this is how it gets shook out. Well, I mean, you know, unfortunately, I, they have to go walk off the plank and show everyone what complete terrified. You know, that's fine. But I would there. really appreciate if they would stop calling themselves the party of life. Because <laughs> when you vote to kill 24 million people, you lose that title. But you saw it right uh, away. I mean, you see it. What's amazing to me is, is we're going to talk about this later, hopefully, if we have time, is the, the Catholic nuns who are coming out, you know, and doing interviews and saying, this is not the fam- the party of pro-life. If you were right. pro-life, you would care about, they're pro-babies. Yeah. So they're yeah. pro, uh, you know, and that's it. They're, they're not, pro-fetus. They're pro-fetus. They love yeah. the fetus. They hate the they child. Hate child. As soon as ca- the child is born, no, no, no wick, no head start, nothing for you. Yeah. And you're Too bad you were born to poor parents. And you're echoing That's because the words it's a moral of Catholic, failing, of course, of Catholic nuns, which is right. uh, staggering to me because it's like it's one thing for have Erica and Jeff get upset about it, and me and whatever we all get upset about it. But to have Catholic nuns going, yeah, this is what's going on. Yeah. So the one I'll give you a little preview. What you're going to hear is this health debate continues <laughs> as they embarrass themselves further. Is taker? They're going to take. They're going. The word taker is going to come up more and more. They're going to start trying to identify the latest enemy. Because unfortunately, well, when we come back, I want to get into this and get into the why we fight part of this and the identity politics behind it, because we need to be able to look inward and see how we're going to process this kind of insanity. And so we don't think we're going off the cliff, as well as I wasn't necessarily going to bring it up because it was earlier in the week with the Jimmy Kimmel story, but it just got a whole lot more relevant. So that's when we return to Jeff's World. I have a story to tell about something that happened to our family last week. I'm sorry. You know, I I try not to get emotional, but it was a scary story. And before I go into it, I want you to know it has a happy ending, okay? So when I'm telling this, don't get too upset. Leave that to me. But a little over a week ago on Friday, April 21st, um, my wife, Molly, gave birth to a boy, a baby boy. His name is William John Kimmel. Uh, We call him Billy. It was an easy delivery. Six pushes, he was out. And he appeared to be a normal, healthy baby. And when a very attentive nurse at Cedars-Sinai Hospital, her name is Nanoush, was checking him out and heard a murmur in his heart, which is common with newborn babies. But she also noticed he was a bit purple, which is not common. So she asked me to come with her. And my wife and I assumed it would be nothing. Our daughter had a, a heart murmur, too. And we didn't notice that he wasn't the color he was supposed to be. So I accompanied Billy and the nurse went down the hall to another part of the hospital, and the room started to fill up. More doctors and nurses and equipment started coming in, and his lungs were fine, which meant his heart wasn't. So now more doctors and nurses and 
equipment come in, and it's it's a terrifying thing. I'm, uh, you know, my wife is back in the uh, recovery room. She has no idea what's going on. And I'm standing in the middle of a lot of very worried-looking people, kind of like right now. Um, <laughs> they did an echocardiogram, which is a sonogram of the heart, and found that Billy was born with um, a heart disease, uh, something called tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary atresia. It's hard to explain. Basically, the pulmonary valve was completely blocked, and he has a, a hole in the wall between the left and right sides of his heart. So we put the baby in an ambulance to Children's Hospital, Los Angeles, and on Monday morning, Dr. Starnes opened his chest and fixed one of the two defects in his heart. He went in there with a scalpel and did some kind of magic that I I couldn't even begin to explain. He opened the valve, and the operation was a success. It was the longest three hours of my life. Six days after open heart surgery, we got to bring him home, which is amazing. He's, he's doing great. He's eating. He's sleeping. He peed on his mother today while she was changing his diaper. He's doing all the things that he's supposed to do. And special extra thanks to my mom and dad and my mother-in-law, Mickey, uh, my kids, Katie and Kevin, my cousins, my sister, my brother, my sisters-in-law, my brothers-in-law. They all really came through in so many ways, as did my friends, Every one of my friends uh, were there 100% of the time for us. And we had atheists praying for us, okay? <laughs> we had people who do not believe in God. And I, don't, I, hate to even, I, I hate to even say it, even that son of a bitch, Matt Damon, said flowers. Right? And most of all, I would thank my wife, Molly, first of all, for um, allowing me to have sex with her in the first place. That was huge right there. And, and so few have done that, but... Also for being so strong and level-headed and positive and loving during the worst nightmare a, a new mother could experience. I, I couldn't ask for a, a better partner. I'm so happy we had this baby together. I'm definitely getting a vasectomy after this. You're listening to Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Erica Ferrison and Jeff Hendrick. I played that, and I wanted a little bit of it because I, I really wanted to cry again, mostly. Uh, but because uh, when I first watched it, I just you know you just fall apart. It, it's, yeah. It, but th- th- that's... I make that point, and I wanted to play enough of it that you would feel it so that you would see this is why healthcare for all is a certainty. It is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen first state by state. It might be one of these cases where it comes to California first and New York and whatever. Senate and, Bill and 562. I, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's California, my f- let's do it. Yeah, that's my feeling is that we're, we in California will pass this, and the rest of the nation will look and see the economy the world not collapse. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, oh, hey, it's working. Hey, look at all these people that aren't sick. And it'll spill across the nation. It'll it'll catch fire. But and we will need your help to pass it. We can talk about that later, yeah. even here in California. Yeah. No, we'll be on it. We'll need we'll, you to we'll be active you. and to call, particularly Nancy Pelosi. But go ahead, Stein. No, no, that's it. Uh, and and if, as you know, it uh, Jimmy uh, stirred up some, you know, Controversy, which is such a ridiculous thing to say, because there's nothing controversial about. Uh, there's nothing controversial about he, loving what your child. What controversy? Well, did let's he give, stir I'll up. give you a little clip because you know he. he uh, this is what set off. Uh, because he's a man and he cried. Well, no. that too. No, the conservative really? side went crazy with this whole thing. And I want to say one other thing. President Trump last month proposed a six billion dollar cut in funding to the National Institute of Health, and thank God our congressman uh, made a deal last night to not go along with that. They actually increased funding by $2 billion, and I applaud them for doing that. Because 
more than more than 40 percent of the people who would have been affected by those cuts to the national lose due to health are children. And it, children. it would have a major impact on a lot of great places, including Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, which is so unbelievably sad to me. We were brought up to believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. But in, until what, a few years ago, millions and millions of us had no access to health insurance at all. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. Yeah. You were born with a pre-existing condition. And if your parents didn't have medical insurance, you might not live long enough to even get denied because of a pre-existing condition. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. Yeah. I, I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? I mean, we do. And Whatever your party, whatever you believe, whatever you support, we need to make sure that the people who are supposed to represent us, the people who are meeting about this right now in Washington, understand <laughs> that very knows. clearly. Let's stop with the nonsense. This isn't football. There are no teams. We are the team. It's the United States. Don't let their partisan squabbles divide us on something every decent person wants. Yeah, so, I mean... So that that's the controversial statement? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That children should live in a country as rich as our own? That when you cut funds from the National <laughs> Institute of Health, that it adversely affects people's health and lives. And again, who cut the funds for that? I, I will continue to say the truth until it that's is not true. Trump, yeah. The Republican Party is the party of death. When you look at their legislation, yeah. they are speeding up harm. Yeah. I, I kind of just, I, every time I hear that, I hear my family and I hear, you know, the times when they were, when the Republicans were pioneering, trying to pioneer universal health care. Yeah. And then once it became a Democratic idea, then it had to be us versus them. And then it had to be an ego thing where if they win with their health care, then we lose with our belief that government sucks at all occasions. It's like, well, here, I think it's time to make the, de the delineation. Uh, government doesn't suck. Certain people in government <laughs> suck. And Republicans, exactly. I'm kind of looking at most of you right now because... And I will say there are some really sucky Democrats. Yeah, Absolutely. sure. <laughs> There's a so bunch of blue dogs. It is not just, but no, I'm no. talking about the party as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, when Jimmy Kimmel says this is not a a political football, a, a game to win. And so when I hear, well, they're afraid of losing, uh, put your big boy pants on. No kidding. And deal with losing because if that's the team you want to be on, maybe you need to switch teams. And maybe you need to lose. They maybe do. you need to lose your job. You're absolutely right. That's what you need to lose. It's not a matter of the vote. Maybe you need to lose your funding from the insurance companies oh, by the way, they and made the an pharmaceutical exception. companies. By the way, those paying attention at home, the, the House bill they just passed today also includes an exception for Congress people. Yeah, they're all exempt from yeah, the damage they, they just did. Yeah, they're all exempt. They still get Obamacare as it currently existed. Right. That's right. Isn't that amazing that they, they kept do the that? one that they hate? They kept. Oh, we got to get rid of Obamacare unless you're a congressperson. Then you get to keep it, and everybody else gets to deal with this new plan, which doesn't cover people and doesn't cover Medicaid. It phases it all out. All these good things. Yeah. I just want to, since we're on the topic, another bill that the Republicans passed. Um, I don't remember the Senate bill number, 
But basically, it was required when drug companies tested drugs, they had to state, um, you know, how effective the drugs right. were. Well, that's gone now. Yeah, oh, you good. don't have to and prove effectiveness. You that's don't correct. have to prove effectiveness. And that's the Republican Congress that passed this. And when they were testing for effectiveness, nine out of ten times the drug proved ineffective. Oh, yeah. So now, and what's going to happen is, is you have doctors that are going to be, you know, told by their pharmaceutical reps, this is a really good drug and da-da, and they're not going to know because they don't have time to dig through all the research. Um, I was talking to a doctor who talked about there was a drug that, you know, some drug company had, and it was for pancreatic cancer, and they were marketing it, marketing as um, it will extend your life if you have pancreatic cancer. But he was in R&D and he said, but what they didn't tell you, and it was like $10,000 a bottle or something like that. And you know what? When your baby or your husband or your mother or whoever is dying from something like that, even if you work at McDonald's, you will do anything to find that $10,000 to extend their life. What they don't say is that it extends your life for two weeks. Oh, and it's not where they're on the golf course for two weeks. They're lying in bed in pain. In that pain, is yeah. that is so beyond. And that's acceptable now. Well, that's re- acceptable. The reason that's acceptable is they they have bought and paid for a lot of our representatives and given them. They don't our guys don't even write legislation anymore. They're given legislation by lobbyists and with a check. <laughs> because Here. they worship the god of money. And they put profit over people. Yeah, well, you can't. Uh, that's why I've, I call them a bunch of faux Christians because you can't worship God and Mammon at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it just don't work. And again, though, feel it, feel this room. This is this is. It's an unfortunate way to figure out that universal health care is the only answer. Uh, it's an unfortunate, painful way that we have to do it, but it it is happening. And even after on the Jimmy Kimmel circumstance. They they called up Sean White. I don't know if you know this story. He has the same pre-existing condition. The snowboarder Sean White? Yes. Listen, that's why the, <laughs> people didn't watch the rest of the show. Listen, I we'll, buy we'll, his clothes at Target for my kids. I know. <laughs> I, I have a Sean White shirt, too. I love it. All right. Here we go. When we were told that this operation was going to be happening, everyone said, Sean White had this. Sean White had this. And I yeah. thought, oh, no, my son's going to be a snowboarder. <laughs> That is a side effect. Yes. You know, every like couple years, I'll go in and do what's called the stress test. Mm-hmm. And so you go in and they put, condition. you know, monitors and all these different things on you. And you have to just work out. You have to ride a bike or an elliptical or something like that. It's very intense. You have to blow into tubes to see how your lungs are, are working with the, you know, blood pumping and everything. And um, and that's the big one. And, and always a scare. So whenever I go in, I'm just like, I'm going to destroy this test. Oh, <laughs> like you're, I go in like, you're trying to win a medal yeah, in the test Yeah, I don't know why. Well. I'm, like, I'm trying to win. It's just in me. Yeah. And, uh, I have a funny story that will no, kind of sound like I'm bragging, but I'm so no, not. But um, there used to be Larry David had a show on HBO. Sure. And uh, there was <laughs> a little show called Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> and there was an episode that my husband gave him. Um, my husband had to go in to have a stress test. And apparently it was casual Friday. Uh, okay. And the very cute uh, Asian nurse with, uh, you know, California paid perfect boobs <laughs> was not was 
casual Friday and so was wearing like a low cut v-neck and so his when he was doing his stress test his just heart, heart was rating kind of high <laughs> that's a good ah. that's a good bit for yeah. Kirby enthusiasm yeah. that's very so funny he, was, he, he yeah it was her fault and so it's uh, not my fault she was wearing a low cut top who who could not be attractive. palpitating here <laughs> so you say well Jeff how do you so so confident uh you know, Executive Brian had quoted a great line: "Politics is pop culture now, and that means that something." Here's healthcare. Who'd ever thought that one Jimmy Kimmel would basically do an entire show on it? Because even after that, guess who was on? Hold on a second. What you were just—it's oh, that, very strange because it might seem that we booked you specifically because of this. It, you've been booked on the show for weeks. This is a coincidence, and then you're a heart surgeon. The, the daytime Emmy Awards were last night. Yeah. I was coming here anyway. We talked about dates. Today was the obvious one. This was planned months ago. In a way, you're responsible for what <laughs> happened to us. That's Dr. Oz, if you couldn't tell. Dr. Oz was booked that night. Wow. Uh, serendipitously. Now, yeah. of course, I don't think there's any accidents or coincidences ever. And so this is the kind of, if you're looking at it from a woo-woo perspective, this is being <laughs> assembled beautifully. Yeah. In, Jimmy Kimmel has this happened to him, which is a terrible tragedy, scares the crap out of him. But his fear becomes the ultimate teachable moment for everybody that this is how serious this issue yeah. is. Any day you could have give birth to a kid with a pre-existing condition and you're going to have to deal with this. And then Sean White comes right down. He, he drove down from Mammoth in some, somebody's old beater car that he had trouble getting here because he was training for the next couple Olympics. He's going to be in the 2018 one and he says he's going to do 2020 because in 2020 the Summer Olympics, they're doing skateboarding as an Event. Okay, he and Tony Hawk are so cool. I know, I know, it's crazy. So, and that convergence proves it. I mean, this is this is a done deal. It's just a question of we well, have to shake off the addicts, the, the fear addicts. Right. The the thing I keep telling all my friends that are freaking out right now is, uh, first of all, breathe. Yeah, we got this. And second of all, a government is a lot like an aircraft carrier. It's huge. It's cumbersome. It's got tons <laughs> of people working in it, and you don't change direction on a dime you don't immediately turn a 180 in something that big it's gonna take a little time to reroute it into the proper direction any government let alone the united states government which is a very very slow one because we got 360 40 million people right it's a lot to administer so you know so we got this just it's a little patience yeah let's get back and i want to get a little deeper into that because this is really about identity politics i think it's important we understand you know some of the motivations of people that are doing such seemingly craven things so that we can sleep at night for ourselves it's lizard brain stuff. it's lizard brain stuff it's all monkey mind it's all fear the money is shiny so (laughs) (laughs) So when we come back we're gonna do that uh plus james comey when we return to jeff's world Welcome to the rarefied air known as Jeff's World. You have stepped into it. You are officially now a citizen. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Eric Ferriston, Jeff Hendrick, and Executive Brian is in here, too, as well. And, and, and uh, again, you know, politics has now suddenly become pop culture. And if you're not, you're going, oh, God, I hate politics, I hate politics. Well, the reason why you hate politics is probably because you're not a real big fan of conflict. <laughs> you know, and, and or BS or BS. <laughs> well, let's let's call let's call it what it is. Yeah. Or you're working three jobs to pay your bills, and you're deciding should I buy groceries or should I buy the medicine for my child or spouse, and you're too tired. Yeah, 
Well, I am a firm believer that if you want to contribute to, you know, you could be part of the problem, part of the solution, or part of the problem, right? And if you want to be part of the solution, then you don't even have to be into politics. But what you can do, it, it, your thoughts, your intentions, where you take all this information, it, it adds to the generic, the general soup that we call America, because we're all contributing to it with our fears, with our with our hopes. And, and for anyone who thinks Stein is completely full of hooey on this one. <laughs> uh, there were, there's been a number of studies where they've done this, where they've had 5,000 people just sit and meditate on peace, and wherever they are, the crime rate goes down. Yeah, they've done actual studies They've done like actual studies, too. so this is, this is science-backed. Now I know some of you don't believe in science, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, but if nothing else, you can, you can experience your, your personal, you know, obviously, results of it. You yeah, don't you, have to have a scientist. You can see that it worked or not. Right. You can feel your own sense of grooviness return. Right? Exactly. <laughs> And so it goes to the question, why we fight? You know, why are you, you want to ask yourself that question. Erica nailed it earlier. Change is scary, man. Change is unfamiliar. And unfamiliar makes us ooky. We don't it like it. It makes us ooky. We don't like it. And, and we don't like the, you know, the conflict, that whatever, it's ugly. Um, and you do, you have to decide. You got to let go, as I say, the verbal martial artists. Uh, because there are folks there that are on the, the Facebook pages and such, and they are deep in their identity politics, which I'll explain in a oh, second, yeah. and they are going to fight you. They're looking for a bar fight. Right. You know, and we're going to talk about that with and James And that's Kobe a total too. waste of your time. Yeah, stay, pretty much. Go get a glass of wine, but stay out of the bar <laughs> fight. You're, well, the, you're not going to change anybody's mind. And what happens is, this is one of the, when I was running to be a delegate to the California Democratic Party, um, which was, you know, not the easiest of campaigns, but <laughs> some of the greatest advice I got with, was from Susie Shannon, who um, is just a progressive, uh, you know, leader um, here in California. Uh, she's uh, incredible. But anyway, she said to a group of us, she said, in this campaign, you're going to start hearing, you know, you know, you're, the people running on the slate against you are doing this and they've got so-and-so and, and all of the stuff. And she said, do not listen. <laughs> that will distract you. Your job is to get votes. Yeah. And just stay focused and yeah. make phone calls for people to come out to vote for you. And so it's, you know, taking that to the next level, it's the same thing with this. You know what? Instead of getting in that bar fight, Go and call Senator Holly Mitchell, who is chair of the California Senate Budget Committee. We have a real chance to pass guaranteed health care for all in California. It passed the health committee. Uh, you know, the so next step is actually appropriations. Yeah, do the funding money. Um, but, you know, call. Make that yeah. phone call. Tell them it's important to you. Call your senator. So much more effective than getting into a Facebook fight that is going to leave you feeling miserable. Yeah, yeah, and if you do have to engage, you know, the bar fight's a great analogy because sometimes you say, well, what if I'm in a bar and a bar fight breaks out? Okay, that's yeah. right. So you can have that happen. Watch it, but watch it with neutrality and watch it with, if somebody comes to you, ask them a question. Yeah. Say, don't you think we should have universal health care for everybody? Right. And, and, and then to, let them ask the answer. To Erica's point on today of all days, which is Mar- May 4th, May the 4th be with you. Correct. And I always go back to that final scene in Star Wars. Stay on target. Yeah. Do not get distracted. Do not get pulled away. Do not go into the bar fight. Stay yeah. on target. Yeah. Your, your target is the exhaust port. You hit that, the whole damn thing goes away. Yeah. That's so so stay 
on target people. And so, again, let's talk a little about uh, identity politics. And, I, ha- and uh, I have to credit uh, my good friend and, and writer and genius, Laura Winter, for that, because that is I got that from her, okay. and that is her hashtag, stay on target. <laughs> yeah, this is going to happen just if yeah. we continue to believe in it. If we spend it, notice your own thoughts. Because if you're sitting here going, oh, God, this is never going to happen, they're going to ruin it. Like, okay, whoa. You got to say, wait a minute. This is something everybody wants. Right. This, this is what Jimmy Kimmel wants. This can this is what happen. We want. This, this can happen. Can happen. Oh, and guys, I made double. a mistake. Holly Mitchell's on the budget committee. Oh. It's Senator Ricardo Lara, who's oh, chair. Lara. Of, ah, it's, yeah. You're right. It's in the Appropriations Committee okay, right now. Go. So yeah. call Ricardo Lara to pass Senate Bill 562. So Ricardo, we love you. Keep going. Yeah, all Make of the members are Senator Patricia Bates, Senator Jim Beal, Stephen Bradford, Jerry Hill, Jim Nielsen, Scott Weiner. Uh, Erica, is sorry there, about Scott Weiner or Weiner. Is there <laughs> a uh, is there a website uh, that uh, the phone number is nine one six six five one four one zero one nine one six six five one four one zero one. Put that on Facebook and we, too. We, so we will paste we will paste that cut and paste, paste. it on our Facebook page for you folks. Yeah, so when I talk about identity politics, uh, I, I want to bring this up because I want to maybe put it in perspective. Because when everyone, almost everybody's found themselves in some sort of argument with somebody that that, that this just seems to be. I, yeah, I got a guy that I bump into on Facebook. I just, I've called him at this point Dan the Deflector. Because <laughs> yeah. all he will do is you ask him the direct question and it's, well, Obama this and Hillary that. I'm like, no, no, we're not talking about them. Come on, focus. Here, yeah. shiny object, look at the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can just, no, no, name, name, name. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's not, you're not going to win that bar fight because he's not actually swinging at you. Right. He's so swinging what's around your advice, you. Yes. Well, I'm just saying, you want to break it down to look at it and say, well, what is everybody puts it within themselves, right? If something's bothering you, it's you, not them, automatically. I mean, if, if you're feeling, if you're the one feeling the, the ick, right. yeah, then there's something about you that has identified or put a stake in the outcome or not, something, right? And so with politics in particular, it's so identity-oriented. Uh, and, and give me an example. Most people, when you hire somebody, let's say you're an employer, and a lot of my friends who, I, who are my Trump supporter friends are rep- employers, and so they'll hopefully relate to this. When you're sitting down and you're going to you know, choose somebody to fill a position in your company, you will find that it's so much more about whether you identify with traits of this person most people don't care really about you know, the resume, the uh, interview, or even the background check. Case in point, Donald Trump, right? We don't care about the resume yeah, or the, wait, wait, the wait, 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 wait. No, I'm not going to let you gloss over that so quickly. We never really vetted him properly. Well, I you know. The Republican Party didn't, and they haven't vetted any of his cabinet, by the way. Well, here's so. my point. Yeah. Identity ah. was more important. I see where you're going. Okay, yeah, than yeah. those things. Right. So you know, in fact, let me but say, say more about identity. Are you talking about if the employer likes the potential hire? They see person some, that they're hiring. If you or? identify with someone or something, a cause or an individual, you see yourself in that cause or that individual. Okay. And once you've committed to that, as I like to say, you know, once you've identified as being you. And once you've identified as the cause or the individual, whether it's Trump or Republicans or Democrats, whoever, as being you, now you will work as a champion of yourself and attack anything that opposes your cause and or leader. So help me on the flip side. So a Republican who, like, identifies with, like, Yes, asthma for everyone. More coal. <laughs> like, no, that good okay, example though. Yeah, help so, me out. So the way you get to that, because uh, the one you guys love too is, is is like evangelicals, right? And they identify with other uh, 
what they're considered labeled as devout Christians. Now, of course, okay. you guys would argue whether or not they're really devout because they're not really following the words of Jesus, and that's not the argument here. So, okay. but once Which you is a I- shame that that's not the argument in some I ways. I know, but this is the point. <laughs> okay. Once you identify with this person or oh, this cause, okay. then you will defend the person that cause or cause at all costs. At all costs. Okay, so once a because person... Because it's you. Okay, so once a person identifies as a Republican, let's say that they were eight years old and they love their mom and dad and their mom and dad were Republican. So they just they just grew up Republican and right. it has all these good Fourth of July and, you know, whatever memories. So this person is identified right. himself as a Republican. Therefore, he like, you know, everything's that lens. Republicans can continue to, you know, condemn people to death by cutting their health care off, but he's just not going to see it that way. He's going to defend it at all costs. Right, because you're attacking them personally when you attack their what the cause or the individual that so they identify with. So how do with. you <laughs> so, well, first you gotta understand get around that, you're, or do you just you're not? not. Okay. This is this is why we're going through this exercise. Is because once you identify that someone you're talking to has identified with the cause or the leader, don't try. You will never get them off it with facts. Okay. You will never get them off it with arguments. You cannot. You all. They will stay there as long as they feel that you are attacking their identity. I know what you're supposed to do. Okay. Okay. I remember this now. You got it? I think oh, it's good. from George it. Lakoff. Oh, good. I think what you do is, you're right, you get off politics and you ask them a question. You know, what's one thing that you've done in your life where you helped someone and you felt really good about it? Yeah. And you let them tell you that story. And you reflect on like, oh, you know, wow, that that must have felt really good. And that's all you do, because I think what that does is it starts to open them up a little bit of like, oh, gosh, remember when I helped a person, how, you know, how wonderful that was. I might want to do more of that. And that is eventually, but you don't talk about politics. (laughs) Maybe that was Dr. Romney. I don't remember who told us that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so we'll take Trump a little bit. You know, I, I have some friends who have- Trump, I, what, what's one time you helped someone that felt really good? I've never helped any. Right. Um, I'm out of questions. I mean, as far as identifying with Trump, uh, you know, if, if you've identified that Trump represents you, that you see some of yourself in Trump. Right. He is a self-made man. You see him as. You see him as- But he's a, not. Not, not. Okay. We know that, but- Okay. Go all with right, it. all right, all right. Go with the premise like- it's an improv class. Yes, and. Yes, and. Right. Right. He's a self-made man, and. And. and uh, Do you think you know, anybody thinks he's handsome? Right. Because we can make that as doesn't, an and. Doesn't matter. Okay. You can even identify with the fact that. Uh, he has a beautiful women. Now, the most dangerous thing in politics is that you identify with their struggle, with their pain, you know, and so one of the primary, I found, identifications that, that, that Trump supporters have with Trump is they often see themselves as having been rejected by society. They're too foul-mouthed. They're too fresh with women. They're too... Uh, they probably you are. Know, and they, just kidding. They probably are. But here comes Donald Trump, who represents somebody who has all of these traits that everybody loathes, but you have it too. Right. And now you see, well, if Trump wins... If Trump is successful, then it proves that my personality traits are acceptable and winning. Right. But, I mean, this is 
this is the dumbest argument since the back of a children's highlights magazine. You're looking for an argument, though. No, We're I'm not looking for an argument. It's no, not look, the ethos or Look, logos. if you have two examples, you have Goofus and Gallant. <laughs> okay, let's go back to highlights magazine, kids. We're in a dentist's office. You have Goofus and Gallant. I love that you remember that. <laughs> Why would you ever choose Goofus as right. your role model? Why would you ever choose someone like Trump I don't think as your role model? I don't think okay look you're not thinking that i don't think that they're they're that that logical and and they're not intentionally like we all have traits that we have our shadow side we all have racism uh, or whatever in us and it's just whether you know we acknowledge those things and work to enlighten ourselves but you know for the for those who don't and who have been demonized, then they're seeing somebody, I guess, that's made it okay for them. Now, you know, I totally disagree with no, no, all of no, that, I, but I, I think that's saying, what though. the Trump effect is. Right. I think that's why you're seeing more people out there, like at the Boston's Red Sox game. You know, you know, making racial slurs and, you know, because Trump is is making it OK for these behaviors that were still within them. But they knew that it was not appropriate to do in right. society. Now, if it makes you feel any better, uh, he being told they're inappropriate. Right. And so they identify with this other person who's always being told he's inappropriate. So if the inappropriate guy that they're attacking, the un-PC, for instance, right. I'm tired of being politically correct. And here's Donald Trump who's saying, screw political correctness. I'm going to be my and they go, yeah, I just want to be myself. And if Trump wins, then I get to be myself, too, right. Right. without addressing, is yourself helping you, man? But they can't do that. That's for them right. to do. Instead, we can't they're going to get thrown out of a game, yeah. and they're going to be humiliated. So good luck with being yourself. Oh, and right. beyond that, uh, I don't know if you read this. Uh, he's been banned from uh, Fenway for life. Oh, there you go. The guy that got thrown out. So when we come back, uh, James Comey and the revelatory things that he said, as well as I want to ask one more question on this identity politics, because I think it's something that we can see in our own life, and that'll make us understand how it manifests in others. Uh, That when we return to Jeff's World. You just found yourself a citizen of Jeff's world. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Eric Ferrison and Jeff Hendrick, and Executive Bryanson here, also talking about James Comey and identity politics. One last thing I wanted to say about that, because this is, a, and again, you, if you're listening, you're saying, oh, politics, blah, blah, blah. This applies <laughs> to everything in your life. It really does. If it's relationships or anything, it's the same thing. Well, all, you know, what all are you hu- identifying right, with? All human interaction is politics. It is. It's yeah. just a politics. The reason I love politics, I can speak for myself, is because I love consciousness. I love just, you know, self realization and discovery and politics is probably the ugliest roughest edge where humans do that it almost certainly is because like you like my co-host just pointed out it's life and death for a lot of people and it's hardcore personal identity and so you've got individuals bumping and and their perspective of the world bumping up against society's shared perspective of the world and it couldn't be more uh, a representation of life in general so on identity politics let me give you an example if you guys you two my co-hosts are watching a republican uh, talk do you ever find yourself and i'm the first one to admit that i do if I find somebody that is part of a, a a group or an organization or a droop or a or a tribe or a you know a, sorry a group a, I troop. Say, a troop a club a tribe whatever a like group. a brownie troop yeah, exactly <laughs> those darn girl scouts. <laughs> But like, for instance, if I, I was watching, you know, the Bill Nye and the climate denier, right? So the climate denier comes on, and they identify him as a climate denier, 
And I found myself that as soon as he started talking, I put it through my identity lens. Mm -hmm. I began, my brain automatically looked for errors in his argument. And I wasn't even... Now, you say, well, there are errors in his argument. Well, and also yeah, part of that but, is that they introduced him as a climate denier. Right. So they're... they're, they're oh God, what a, they are uh, prejudicing your viewpoint already. Right. By his title. To no they're one's, cueing you right. to be prejudiced. Right. Yes. And to no one's surprise, they've done university studies where they played debates and they labeled some Republican, <laughs> some Democrat, had people you know give their opinions, and then just flipped the labels without changing any of the words... You'd be amazed, huh? And people go, that one's wrong because da 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 It's like, well, wait a second. You were so <laughs> determined to craft an argument right. to find that person wrong because your here it is, your perception of them being on or off your team is bigger than facts or evidence or resumes or interviews or background checks. Which is exactly what we have going on now in, exactly. in, in, exactly. in Washington, D.C. It's it's yeah it's complete identity politics and it's on not, both sides. Oh, uh, women did it with Hillary. I'm not trying to call no, out no, no, my no, no, vagina no, no, no. bearing friends. No, no, no. It's, but some of them, you know. But it's you're right. We are absolutely secular. Uh, we're tribalized. We're not reaching across aisles anymore. We just we're building up bigger walls. Never mind. They don't have funding. We're building up bigger <laughs> walls <laughs> around ourselves, and it's not. You can't. Is Mexico paying for your personal wall? See. Oh, uh, So you just um, (laughs) thank you for doing that, because I just want to point out the other thing I I teased on the top of the show, the big wins for one party. The other big win for the Democrats this week, if you're a Democrat, you'll be very excited. The continuing resolution that they passed, the budget they passed was pure Democratic, you know, uh, influence. There was no the wall, although they got more money for border security. It explicitly says they cannot build a wall with that money. Right. The EPA is still funded to ninety nine percent. Um, right. PBS is still funded. PBS is still funded. Uh, Planned Parenthood was not defunded. Right. Uh, the list goes on. I can't. How, even, how now? We're talking. Democrats got most of what they wanted. Right. We're talking about this. Why did? Why did none of us hear this on the news? That all these good things happened in in the budget. Well, in the continuing resolution. What do you always say, Stein? They cover the. The, if it leads, it bleeds, all that stuff, right? You had the, to go, and they cover the plane crashes. The plane crash, another plane, crashes, plane, no, the plane landings, right? All and right. this is a big plane okay. landing. And so, so be so celebrate that if you believe that, you know, if, if you're you a Democrat hear- and you wanted. Good news. Tune in to Jeff's world. There you go. <laughs> uh, but you say, well, wait a second. I want Republican ideals to go out. And you know what? So do I. I want Republican ideals. To, but here's the thing this party, and then obviously you've heard my co-hosts rant about the Demo- the Republicans and how, how bad they are. Actually, my- she rants, I rants. There you go. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> uh, my point with them is that I've never seen a more persistent victim mentality. It's it's they don't know how to stop being victims. That's my problem with my Republican former Republican Party. It's, it's all my about it's natural gaslighting. It, they are so convinced. They're so fracking they're crazy that here they have. I mean, the great tweet that was out there is that uh, here's Donald Trump, who is the biggest got the victim, biggest victim complex in the world, and he's the most powerful man in the world, and it still has had no effect on his victim victim complex. So he's still you, running for office. He's still running for office. You just made Noam Chomsky's point exactly. <laughs> they are, you said you've never seen a party that is so persistent in its, in, victimhood. In its victimhood and they have all this power. That is a very dangerous combination. And yeah. his point was he hasn't seen an organization that is so committed to destroying life and health. So 
they don't see it that way, of course. They see it as they're under they, attack and they're responding accordingly. And I know that's crazy because you say, what do you mean they're under attack? See, and you say, well, Jeff, how do you know they're a victim? I'll put it this way. My old Republican Party that I would have known from my family, the Eisenhower type Republicans like I like to talk about, right? If November 8th of this year had occurred, every Republican I would have understood would have gone, we won. Here we go. Let's get our ideas together. Let's start talking about showing this nation the brilliant power of Republican conservative ideas. From the day the election was over, they right. would be on excited as hell. Absolutely. Right? They did none of that. There was no discussion anywhere about anything because, you know, they would have clustered. I mean, Republicans would have, I, I, if I were a Republican at that time, I would have not been able to wait to get to Congress so I can get with my other Republicans and go, guys, we got it. Let's go build something amazing. Let's go make something. But instead they said, we're under attack. We're under attack. The Democrats, the Democrats, the Democrats. It's like you guys still have to have an attacker. You're more concerned that the Democrats are stopping you, well, that's, and you own, you control everything. That's, that's the linchpin to their entire identity, Jeff. It's very, exactly. They identify with the cause of being under attack. Right. They, they, and that is, the, in other words, their attack is under attack as white males. They're under attack as rich people. That's why they use terms like takers, because oh, if you're we, a rich person, you're a maker. If you're a poor person, you're a taker. May may I ask about that very quickly, please, sure. Mr. Stein? Digress. Uh, no, this isn't a digression. This okay. is a straight ahead. So takers, uh, all the poor people, takers. So <laughs> GE, Verizon, AT and T, British Petroleum, who pay no taxes and receive billions in subsidies, aren't takers? <laughs> no, they're they're jobs so, creators. No, they aren't. <laughs> right. No, no, small businesses create. No, they create mature- jobs overseas. <sighs> But also, too, ah. they so these people that they're identifying as takers are oftentimes laborers, people who work, whatever, at low paying jobs. But really, you know, people who work at a company, you know what those people are? They're profit makers, they're mm-hmm. making profits for the company, for those CEOs, because. They can't make any profits without those people, you know, whatever, on the machine line or those servers in the restaurant. Those are profit makers. And those profit makers have a right to a share in the profit, hence <gasps> a quality, uh, you know, whatever, um, salary, living wage, health care. Right, so right. I flip that on them. Those are profit makers. Yeah. That they're talking about. Yeah. And I want to say earlier, I really identified with what you were talking about, mm. um, you know, when you you said because if they weren't in such victimhood, the moment Trump got elected, they would have been like, yes, we're going to show you guys. Right. Yeah. Because I can tell you just on working with the, you know, all the delegates and the California Nurses Union, all of us working on uh, guaranteed health care for all here in California we, I can tell you, we are so excited. The minute this thing passes, the sentiment is, oh, yeah, we're going to show them that it's good, that it works. People are going to be yeah. happy. We're going to do this. Do we know that Trump and the Republicans or, you know, we're going to get, you know, blowback? Of course we do, but we're not worried about that because we're believe focused. In it. We yeah, absolutely believe in, it. believe in it. And we know that this is the best direction to go, and we're so excited about it. So that, I I, I get it when you yeah. put that yeah. example out yeah. there. When, yeah. when we talk about, when I talk about why I don't like some Republican mindset around this, 
goes right to what you were saying, Erica. Uh, as a worker, as a profit generator, you should be entitled to some of that that you're working so hard and making. And you know who said no to that? John Shatner, the guy who runs Papa John's Pizza. He said, yeah. if, if the profit of this company goes up, we don't owe a dime to our workers. Like, dude. And you should see 40, his giant, giant house. 40,000 square foot out, in, in, mansion outside of, uh, outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, Louisville, Kentucky. That's right. uh, it has its own moat. And I don't begrudge him for that. No, But at fine. the cost of what you're saying, every single employee has no growth. Right. No growth for his employees, Zip. but constant, unending growth for and him. And he was, he was a big decrier yeah. of, you know, of the, yeah. the ACA. He said, I, we'll have to raise our pizza prices 23 cents. Dude, raise it. Raise it $2.30. I will pay it if one of your people who has leukemia doesn't have to die. I got no problem with that. Exactly. We got another break. Supersize me, you schmuck. I keep keep promising James Comey we're going to do that next as well. I got to get a little piece of the White House Correspondents Interview because, oh my God, that's one of my favorite events every year. And this one was particularly interesting because it was the first White House Correspondents Dinner since 1991. 81. That did not include the president. So that when we return to Jeff's World. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the series finale of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. <laughs> oh, man. My name is Hassan Minaj, or as I'll be known in a few weeks, number 830287. <laughs> With everything going on in the country right now, that a Muslim would be standing on this stage for the ninth year in a row, baby. We had eight years of Barack. What's another year? I see you, fam. I see you, Barry. What you doing right now? You jet skiing while the world burns? That's cool. That's cool. (laughs) I'd like to thank Jeff Mason and the White House Correspondents Association for having me. I would say it is an honor to be here, but that would be an alternative fact. It is not. Uh, No one wanted to do this. So, of course, it lands in the hands of an immigrant. It's how it always goes down. Ah, No one wanted this gig. No one. Don Rickles died just so you wouldn't ask him to do this gig. All right? <laughs> R.I.P. to Don Rickles, the only Donald with skin thick enough to take a joke like that. R.I.P. to the legend. Uh, Hassan <laughs> Minaj. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Jeff Hendrick. Erica Ferriston is here. <laughs> and do you know why in 1981 the president didn't attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Because uh, he'd been shot! shot! Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Reagan was recovering in a hospital from a gunshot wound. Right. That's really pretty much the only excuse you're going to be able to drop and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. He's, Trump is so thin-skinned. He's a little uh, child. Yeah. I mean, uh, what you, a wimp. Do you he know, can't face a room full of comics. No. Yeah. Uh, do you know? Well, uh, he bombed at the uh, at the Fred at the. Gosh, what's the other one? The one they did uh, uh, earlier in his presidency. They always do, which is the Catholic Charities one. Since he bombed so much of that, he uh, oh, he was like, aw- he was awful. He didn't want to ever go back. Then when he and Hillary both attended, do you know that the Samantha B. Alternative yeah, right. Press Correspondents Dinner did better ratings wise? Oh, I love it by a wide margin. Of course, than the actual Press Correspondents Dinner. We got this, people. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not. I don't mean we got this because Trump's going to go down, and all the Republicans are going to get get their comeuppance. No, I don't. I don't want. I'm not interested in any of that. That's not Erica even the point, the is point. it? Yeah. The point yeah. is, is that what you what we believe in will be so much more true and and realized than what we are scared of. Right. Uh, the scared folks, and and I, I have great sympathy for the Republicans because they have they've gone 
the Republicans in Congress have gotten so far off on their fear they don't know up from down anymore. They're like they're they're like they're like they're in a they're, they're scurrying little rodents in a cave. You know they've all gone into the fear cave because it's safe. Yeah, and nothing can get us in here. But right, nothing gets into the cave. No light, no information, no alternative views. <laughs> right. You're just safe in your little fear cave. So it's time to you know three days hence. Let's roll the boulder over and pull Christ out of the cave, shake him up a little and show him the sunshine and go, hey, you know, that's not a burning, angry giant in the sky. It's just the sun. You're going to be okay. So as, as far as bringing light uh, yes. to this world, uh, whatever that form is, uh, Jesus or otherwise, a little light came in a Senate hearing with James Comey. Uh, we've had some kind of some longer clips here today, but this one uh, is a pretty another pretty big moment in history. Why was it necessary Dianne Feinstein. to announce 11 days before a presidential election that you were opening an investigation on a new computer without any knowledge of what was in that computer? Why didn't you just do the investigation as you would normally, with no public announcement? So I agreed. I authorized them to seek a search warrant, and then I faced a choice. And I've lived my entire career by the tradition that if you can possibly avoid it, you avoid any action in the run-up to an election that might have an impact, whether it's a dog catcher election or president of the United States. But I sat there that morning, and I could not see a door labeled no action here. I could see two doors. And they were both actions. One was labeled speak, the other was labeled conceal. Because here's how I thought about it. I'm not trying to talk you into this, but I want you to know my thinking. Having repeatedly told this Congress, we are done and there's nothing there, there's no case there, there's no case there, to restart in a hugely significant way, potentially finding the emails that would reflect on her intent from the beginning and not speak about it would require an act of concealment, in my view. And so I stared at speak and conceal. Speak would be really bad. There's an election in 11 days. Lordy, that would be really bad. Concealing, in my view, would be catastrophic, not just to the FBI, but well beyond. And honestly, as between really bad and catastrophic, I said to my team, we've got to walk into the world of really bad. I've got to tell Congress yeah. that we're restarting this, not in some frivolous way, in a hugely significant way. And the team also told me, we cannot finish this work before the election. And then they worked night after night after night, and they found thousands of new emails. They found classified information on Anthony Weiner. Somehow, her emails are being forwarded to Anthony Weiner, including classified information by her assistant, Huma Abedin. And so they found thousands of new emails, and then called me the Saturday night before the election and said, thanks to the wizardry of our technology, we've only had to personally read 6,000. We think we can finish tomorrow morning, Sunday. And so I met with them. And they said, we found a lot of new stuff. We did not find anything that changes our view of her intent. So we're in the same place we were in July. It hasn't changed our view. And I asked them lots of questions. And I said, okay, if that's where you are, then I also have to tell Congress that we're done. Look, this is terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. Everybody who disagrees with me has to come back to October 28th with me yeah. and stare at this and tell me what you would do. Would you speak or would you conceal? And I could be wrong, but we honestly made a decision between those two choices that even in hindsight, and this has been one of the world's most painful experiences, yeah. I would make the same decision. I would not conceal that on October 28th from the Congress. And I sent a letter to Congress. By the way, people forget this. I didn't make a public announcement. Yeah. I sent a private right. letter to the chairs and the rankings. Oh. Ding, the ding, 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 ding. 
Did you I know you, it's a distinction without a difference in the world of leaks. Oh, no, no. But it is, it was very important that I tell them instead of concealing. And reasonable people can disagree, but that's the reason I made that choice. And it was a hard choice. I still believe in retrospect the right choice, as painful as this has been. Yeah, thank you for letting me play that entire thing because you know what? Everyone who's watching the news on this, all they saw was the mildly nauseous line. Right. They didn't hear his extensive explanation of what he went through as a human being trying to navigate this. Go ahead. You were going to say the Congress thing, though. Private letter. Yes. That's huge. Private letter went to the chairman. The chairman is that greasy little crap weasel. Jason Chaffetz. Jason Chaffetz, who has now disappeared. He's yeah. having foot surgery. He's having foot surgery, which is a pre-existing condition. And don't get me freaking started on that. Yeah. Well, he accepted himself from the... Yeah, he, he's he has covered. Obamacare. He's covered Chaffetz, no matter what. He has Obamacare. Chaffetz leaks the letter. Yeah. That, that's, that's an important point. It's, now, of course... He, no, d- it's beyond important. It, it is critical. Well, the reason that what Dianne Feinstein was going to bring on... And let me play a little uh, other side of this king. Because Dianne Feinstein, with all due respect to her, she went into the identity lens. Because she sees the... She saw James Comey as why her... Friend, Hillary Clinton is not president. And by the way, so does Hillary Clinton. Yeah. She gave a speech. I think you saw it. And she, you know, you want to talk about a victim? Yeah. She continues to say James, it's James Comey's fault and it's Russia's fault. She was right to say, and we'll, we'll come back to that actually, because she was, I agree with her that if the election was held on October 28th, she would be president. Uh, 27th. You know what? I don't. It's, it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know and it doesn't matter. Does, if I'm you not guys sh- watch the I'm entire not, speech, by the way, I'm not sure you're right, though. Well, uh, nobody knows. Nobody knows <laughs> right, for nobody sure. Knows. Right? Yeah. But, uh, Maybe. but if you watch the entire speech, because I know what you're saying, because everyone now also the news is playing that one clip where she says, "Oh, you know, if it had held the 27th, James Comey, et cetera, et cetera." But she also during those the rest of the interview says, "I made mistakes. The campaign made mistakes. I definitely own them. Read my book. I'm begging for forgiveness That's because like I goofed a lot of things with the Iraq." war she made a mistake right. get over it people yeah. okay um, so erica just illustrated my point again and i'm gonna either embarrass her or make her mad she might be yelling at me and that's okay this happens a lot on the show um <laughs> you're saying i yell at you a lot uh, on the show no it's fun we, dis- we disagree i mean i, I, I yell more <laughs> yeah. see there we go Stein. and see now we have identified whether or not who is the most yeller <laughs> so um you know uh when you decide somebody is you decide you don't identify with somebody or do identify with somebody. Right. And in your cases, with all due respect, you've decided that Hillary Clinton is somebody you do not identify with. She is the antithesis of what you represent. No, I think and you're... So, no, no, no. I'm no, not... I'm, I'm not. See, I'm attacking you, so you're going to obviously no, it's not a, No, I think antithesis is too strong a word. No, <laughs> okay. No, That's I all I'm saying. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think she was the best candidate that the Democrats could have put not forward. Not even close. Right. Not even close. I'm just so, saying she had all. a huge negative rating, and that's yes. who the DNC yes! decided yes! that they were going to put out there. And that is stupid. Well, it's not just the DNC, though. That's, that's victimy. It was a lot of folks voted for her. No, and no, a lot no, of Democrats but, voted for her. But the DNC from the get-go, okay, well, maybe— the information revealed. Anointed. I know, but you see how you guys look at look at your valuing. You're doing the same thing with identity. Right. We're valuing when that one information piece of fact over came out, fact. when Julian Assange revealed that information, nobody talks about what the information is that was revealed, how they did tip the scales uh, to have uh, Hillary win win the primary and and tip them against Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Everybody just talks about, you know, whatever, Russia, Russia, Russia. Forget about what the message was. 
But I, I, I'm just saying, like, she, it's not my fault she had a negative rating. I didn't <laughs> give her that negative rating. But I think when you are engaged in something as huge as selecting a candidate for president, yeah. that's something that should be, you know, really considered. And in, and then if it's not, it's not surprising that maybe the candidate with the huge negative rating doesn't win. Now, maybe she would have won if it was on October 28th. And I wish that it was on October 28th and she was our president. Yeah. I was looking. I felt that with Hillary Clinton, we absolutely could push her toward a lot of things we progressives wanted. And and I even said to people who we're thinking Trump would be a better pick because it would galvanize the left. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a really dangerous game. I, I And I was like, we can push her. And I'm like, we can't push him. That's so anyway, I, I feel like I'm just rambling at this point. Well, that's a great ramble. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but I want to point out something that let's see, you know, where you go with this. Well, one of the things like we talk about Dianne Feinstein and you could see in her lens like she was going to defend Hillary at all costs. And so the idea that James Comey gave it to Congress and then Congress, Jason Chaffetz, right. revealed it to the world for the sole purpose of damaging Hillary Clinton. Dianne Feinstein's attitude was like, well, you knew that was going to happen. So you're back to being wrong again, James yeah. Comey. And, he and did, she, right, and he she was unable to hear James Comey anguishing over this decision. Yeah. And, of course, they asked him about, well, why didn't you talk about Trump and his investigation? Separate issues, obviously. Also, and that's also worth litigating. Also, but, you're... Yeah. But if you can if you can listen to Jake, go ahead. Yes, he was really torn, and he comes back to that: Do I con you know? Do I conceal, conceal? which is catastrophic, or do I release, which is or terrible? Or do I release? And you know what? That's the same struggle Edward Snowden went through. Yeah. Do I conceal or do I release? According to Julian Assange, when he is questioned, that's the same struggle he went through. Do I conceal or do I release? So. Exactly. And, and, and now we're in this place where the, the other key part that came out of that, which I don't want to be lost on folks, is that... Go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say that, that <laughs> Comey didn't release the information. He No, but he no, released he it, it to, to the Congress. appropriate Secretly. people. He yes. notified the chairman of the appropriate committee, which is in his purview to do and which is his obligation to do. And right. he threw it out there for the, all the world to hate Hillary. And Jason Chaffetz tweeted it. Of course. Out. Yeah. Oh, here's this private letter. Here's this secret letter. Yeah. Here's here's part of an investigation the FBI is conducting. Yeah. Why wasn't he raked over the coals for that behavior? Is my question. Jason <laughs> Chaffetz should be out of a damn job. We'll uh, well, the Jason Chaffetz story is obviously yet unwritten. Uh, I forgot what my point was. So when we come back, I'll have to come <laughs> tell you what that <laughs> point was. Uh, I lost it, but it will come back. And as well as uh, I, I still want to get into these other things that I teased, like for instance, uh, the difference between Obama and Trump executive orders, and the one person who can criticize President Trump and to his face and get away with it. That when we return to Jeff's world. <laughs> You guys are all here tonight to honor a great American tradition because we all know this administration loves deleting history faster than Anthony Weiner when he hears footsteps. So thank you for being here. We gotta address the elephant that's not in the room. The leader of our country is not here. And that's because he lives in Moscow. It is a very long flight. It'd be hard for Vlad to make it. Vlad can't just make it on a Saturday. It's a Saturday. As for the other guy, I think he's in Pennsylvania because he can't take a joke. Now, for the nine people watching on C-SPAN, there 
also was another elephant in the room, but Donald Trump Jr. shot it and cut off its tail. <laughs> that is uh, Hassan Minaj, uh, who he later joked that he said that uh, he's going to get a tweet from Donald Trump in the, in the middle of the night saying, I hated that Nicki Minaj. Uh, and the way yeah, he attacked right, me on right. and then Nicki Minaj will be deported that's right <laughs> uh, he had another great thing where uh, a line of comedy which says let him golf let the, let Donald Trump golf at least then he's not you know causing an apocalypse or, or attacking <laughs> yeah, no kidding. and then the other one is remember he doesn't drink he does all of this sober uh. You know, That's kind is, of a terrifying uh, thought, quite I know, frankly. I know. I would hope there would be some sort of chemical impetus for this nonsense, but there isn't. I don't know. That just because he doesn't drink doesn't mean like Hitler. He's not on speed or meth. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what he's. Anyway, I, I, I think it's funny because our little brains tell us God, there must be an explanation for this erraticness. But maybe not. But maybe not. Maybe he's just good old narcissist erratic. Thank I'm you, sorry. What was that? Is that uh, him sniffing Adderall? Exactly. Uh, I don't know if I even just entered the show. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Erica Ferguson and Jeff Hendrick. I just started running into the clip. But hey, um, one of the things we've been holding on to is, oh, who can save us here? Is it, can Ivanka and Jared uh, save us? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's interesting because we're learning more all the time uh, about the funny little isms of Trump. One of the funny side stories was that, I don't know if you know this, all the microphones have been adjusted since he was president. Every previous president, the microphones basically sat in the same location, about somewhere between 9 and 12 inches from their face uh, or more. Uh, and that way you, the, everybody loves it because then you can see the president, you can see what he's talking about, you can see his gestures. This is the first president who it, it demands being within three to four inches of the microphone. And if you know anything about broadcasting, that's how you overpower other people is by getting close to the mic. If you don't feel like your words are big enough, you have to get closer to the mic. So it's, it's a form of shouting. It's another form of shouting. If I can control and be the loudest person. It's another form of his handshake as well. Right. It's this, and he always leans in. I mean, the psychological aspects of this afterwards are just going to continue to be fascinating. But in terms of Ivanka, Ivanka, as I teach the top of the show, apparently is the only person, uh, as these White House insiders are saying, that can speak truth to this guy. He's the one person who can criticize, she's the one person who can criticize Donald Trump and kind of get away with it. Right. Well, it's it's their pillow talk. It's they've, oh, oh, hello, ouch. So uh, they've known to be able, so he'll enter a room and they'll close the doors. And apparently Ivanka, you know, with a limited number of people will actually uh, say, dad, you know, you, you can't do this. And one of the funny stories that came not funny, uh, funny, haha, funny, sad, <laughs> uh, was that uh, after, after the Access Hollywood video came out, right, and uh, grabbing the woman by the whatever, the, his proclaim, his bragging about sexual assault. Ivanka Trump made an, this is according to some reporting here, the folks who were in there, Ivanka Trump made an emphatic case for a full-throated apology, according to several people who were present for the crisis discussion that unfolded in Mr. Trump's 26th floor office. Um, Raised amid a swirl of tabloid headlines, she had spent her adult life branding herself as her father's poised, family-focused daughter. She marketed her clothing lines with slogans about female empowerment and was finishing a book on the topic. As she spoke, Mr. Trump remained unyielding. Her daughter's eyes welled with tears. Her face reddened, and she hurried out in frustration, according to people that were in the room. You know, I think that, like, this is obviously just my opinion, but many women, young girls, we idolize our dads. They yeah. are, they can do no wrong. They are the most handsome. They are the smartest, the most sage. And we put them up on a pedestal and we really believe that. And then as we grow up, um, you know, we start to see that 
they might not deserve. They're not the smartest. They're yeah. not the wisest. Yeah. You know, she reminds me of an adult child of an alcoholic. Right. That is such typical, um, you know, that seems like such a typical story. And I think that that moment was one of the first for her in which, you know, she saw her dad fall off that pedestal because because he had to be president and he had to win this. You know, they're getting all kinds of feedback that before never entered their castle. Or their bubble. Right. And so, you know, that's so it's interesting. And and I think that was probably one of her first and why it's it's so upsetting to her. Yeah. Or that why that was so upsetting and shocking. And, you know, I think that she's in for more awakening to reality, um, you know, that her dad is not as she uh, had idealized. And that's a tough that's a tough struggle. God, what, yeah. if, what if it's Ivanka that brings him down? I was going to say, if you're a praying person, pray for Ivanka because it's one of the few people who can speak to Donald and he might actually listen. He doesn't, obviously, very often. Uh, but on the few occasions he listens, it seems to be from Ivanka and Jared a little bit, oddly enough. Yeah, unfortunately, I think her her awareness will be stilted because of who she's yeah. selected as a husband. I mean, again, it's just, and the whole thing when you talk about how she has um, designed herself to be the Designed poised, is the important point. The thoughtful, yeah. successful. That is, an, that is a classic um, adult child of alcoholics. So, you know, again, I, I, I don't know if he does other things or if he is you know just sober or he had a parent who was an alcoholic but it's a family disease that affects generation after generation and that is typical behavior where you create this reality and this impression of who you are and who you want to be and it takes a lot of energy to keep it up yeah well fred his dad uh, fred trump uh was not a nice guy no. He was known as a racist slumlord throughout New York. In fact, Woody Guthrie put him in one of his folk songs. Yeah, talking about he was such a nice guy. Fred won't, <laughs> Fred won't rent to the colored folk. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of what the, the lineage of sort of behavior and insular uh, communication and, and yeah. not really seeing outside of your bubble comes from. So as part of the lightning round, I'm going to get a couple other things. Uh, the executive order such. I think there's some, some clarity because unless you're big old democracy geeks and you follow kind of how it is it, like, oh my gosh, well, he's doing so much with executive orders and he really isn't they're not doing laws. anything. Yeah, that's they're, the thing. They're not laws. Not and quite, people yeah. say, well, he's getting a lot done. Well, here's, here's one of the reasons why he's, Donald Trump's been able to cause a lot of changes, if you will, with executive orders is because the previous executive... Uh, added a lot of great things because what you can do if you call them great obviously it's subjective but the point is executive orders you 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 got to go through congress if you want to move dollars around if you want to change actual structural things if you want to uh, close down an epa or improve an epa or whatever but the executive can do policy things which have great effect for instance they got rid of michelle obama's girls support programs yep. now that is an executive order and that's something you can do and you can use the government to do but it's it's not in any way a law it's just something that you say, hey, we're going to do this policy within the institutions that we control. It doesn't mandate it out. This is the big difference. An executive order, that's why the Muslim ban was overturned. because By that, one judge. By one judge. Right. And that's all it takes because it has to go through. It actually affects the population at large, not just how you policy make within the EPA. Another one. 
for instance. Another thing that Obama did is he vastly improved rights for LGBT folks, transgenders, etc., etc. Well, they rolled all that back. Well, they didn't change any laws. It didn't require any Congress. This was something that Obama did because within government institutions, he can say, we're going to demonstrate the highest level of good and, and we can affect that because it's within the government institution. And then if he, But if, if Obama had signed an executive order that says, all people must respect transgenders now nationwide, it would have gone through judicial review or Congress and it would have been stopped. And I say that distinction because people go, oh, well, executive order is scary, it's whatever. Donald Trump can't get anything serious done with an executive order. But it feels that way because he undid a lot of amazing things that Obama did that were really just example setters. Like what Erica talked about earlier, he believed in something, right. went ahead and it's, said, in the same way that we would like Donald Trump to start making his ties in America, buy American, hire American, Obama did that and says, well, I'm going to do it within government, and right. then hopefully the private sector will follow, and they did and didn't. Right, and the other thing about ex- um, Obama's executive orders, they, they, I don't recall seeing him televised signing a whole lot of those. You know, <laughs> right? every single one Trump does, he unless hold, it's uncontra, unless he, it's un, uh, right. He, un, he, un, po- he po- he's posing yeah, with it and showing everybody like, today. look what I did. I spelled my name right. You're like, really? Yeah. Honestly, yeah. do you need that much adulation, you freaking child? So, yeah. and of Ugh. course, I'm still stuck when you said that Trump uh, signed an executive order to undo the girls' support program that Michelle Obama put into place. And I am remembering Ivanka Trump saying, uh, you know, it's in like Germany, girls learn, I believe it's called. It's the one where it supports uh, education, special things, things where women uh, don't have as much opportunities as men. It, it fosters additional equality of opportunity. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. And when Ivanka was recently in Germany, Germany saying her dad has done more to empower right. women and families. And it's like, well, what about this executive order? Like, to me, what is the point yeah. of undoing that executive order that know, supports girls get in getting an education? The black man did it. The black man did it. We can't let him have a single victory. Well, without oversimplifying it, you did stop on the one part and say identity politics Absolutely. again. Is it anything that it's Obama? Since he, you identified him as your enemy, right. everything he, he does must be bad, including Romney care, which became Obamacare. Remember, they assaulted right, right. him. No, no, Mitt no, Romney I, I assaulted him. So there's a classic identity politics. Right. If it comes from that guy, black or otherwise, we even have to bring up race because that's just going to shut people down, even though it may or may not be true. <laughs> Please. Uh, truth or otherwise doesn't All matter. Right. The point is that when you identify that everything Obama does is bad, then you have to just remove it, even though it's good and you like it. Even though it was your idea, you have to oppose it. Right. They also rolled back the uh, nutrition program that yeah. Michelle Obama put in place like how can you how can you be pro bad food for kids <laughs> well, please, when you're the party of death but that's still just please explain that to me but as, as we go out I want to I want to point a couple other things uh, right. is that there's a lot of good news in the sense that yes there will be folks whose identity with this cause of you know anti-immigrant the cause of anti-obama the cause of anti-whatever it is all these different causes which are mostly anti uh again i speak to my christian friends when i say that you want to be pro-jesus pro-love not anti-people who oppose the church because then you're then you've trained your brain and the devil to find and identify people who are hurting the church rather than identifying people you can bring love to so there's an important distinction but one came up that was so big, uh, he gave a speech at NRA, and he attacked, he went right back to attacking, Donald Trump did, uh, attacking everyone, for, and he went right back to the campaign mode. Yeah, it was nuts. 
David Gergen, who you may not know who he is, yeah. he worked in the Nixon administration, the Ford administration, the Reagan administration, obviously a screaming liberal. <laughs> and this is what sarcastic. he said about the speech. I think he did move his base. Uh, he has solidified his hold with his base. He played to their fears. Uh, and their concerns, and they have very legitimate concerns, and I think he's been consistent about that. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, to bring your campaign speech into the presidency is something presidents rarely do. This was the, this was the most divisive speech I've ever heard from a sitting American president. Others may disagree about that. He played to his base, and he and he treated his other listeners, the rest of the people who have been disturbed about him or oppose him, he treated them basically as... I don't care. I don't give a damn what you think because you're frankly like the enemy. You, you're, you're like the enemy with his press. I thought it was a, a deeply disturbing speech. In- enemy. You see? Yeah. It's all about identifying the enemy. And so we went back into a speech and said, here's your enemies. Here's your enemies. We're a victim to your enemies. Even though they control all of government, he still had to make a speech that identified the enemies. And, and, and here's the last tragedy that, that we have to be aware of. And that is what James Comey said. The greatest threat to our democracy and the world right now is Russian interference. I've said it before in the show, and I say it again. It is so important to know that if you see something pop up in the news cycle, there is an excellent chance that it has been inflated and pumped by the Russians. They're doing it constantly. They're still doing it. James Comey made that very clear. This is an ongoing thing. And the sad part is that David Gergen would have agreed with me instantly being a classic Republican. This would have been a common enemy moment. Mm. We would have all said, because one thing that always unifies America is that on 9-11 was a common enemy. And we have a common enemy. But because our identity politics is so crazy right now that we have decided that whether or not the Russians are affecting our discourse is a partisan matter. It's us versus them. Yeah, but you know what? That, will, that strategy will eventually always fail. Yes, it will. It has to. It has to. It has to because right. you can't overcome fear and hate with more fear and hate. That's right. It's like me. You're not going to cure my cancer by giving me another freaking tumor. That's right. That's not going to work. That's right. I got to get rid of the lumpy that I already have. And we have to get rid of the fear and the hate and the divisiveness. That's why war is never the answer. No, it's, I've said this before and I'll it say it again. It leads to self-annihilation. My favorite quote that my Christian friends uh, ignore is, uh, those who live by the sword shall perish by the sword. Well, how'd you miss that the, one, The guys? guy who spoke, who worked in the, was it the Nixon, the Reagan? David Gergen, yeah. yeah. David Gergen, all of these Republican administrations who clearly he identifies as a Republican. But that's a perfect example of somebody who... Does identify and with, you know, say Republican values or whatever, but is not a tribalist because he can call out. He can see that Donald Trump isn't giving these folks what they what he said he was going to give them. And now, whereas he and I would probably disagree on just about everything he but it's somebody that, you know, You can at least uh, have a conversation in some reality with, and it's not just locked into a bubble at all costs. You just perfectly, that's a perfect way to close the show. Thank you, Erica Ferriston, for making that point, because you just did exactly what we were hoping to do, which is you removed your identity of one party or another to say, here's an objective assessment on whether this is going to help us or hurt us. 
and it doesn't matter whether they come from where or what their RD is. And this is how we're going to get through this. So, so thank you, David Gergen. Thank you, David Gergen. <laughs> when you find yourself getting icky when you think about things, like if, you, if you're a, a Democrat who when you hear, when you hear the, someone say evangelical, it makes you ick, that's your responsibility. You need to fix that ick. And by the same token, uh, when it's the other way around, if you're a Republican and the, and the word liberal makes you want to just get angry, that's you. You need to find a way to love your neighbor. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. Uh, We'll see you again next week. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.